Welcome into the lounge presented by DraftKings. We are excited today to be joined by Ravens General Manager Eric DaCosta, fresh off the draft. It's been a busy few weeks here, no doubt about it. So let's start with this, Eric. And this is what I heard. So you guys are on the clock in the first round, and you're considering who you're going to take at 22. And it came down to you pulling up the mock drafts that were done in advance. You pulled up mine and Mink's. And you laminated. saw laminated. They were laminated. Right. They're ready to These go. These are official. And you saw that I had us taking Zay Flowers, and he had us going with Deontay Banks. You said, guys, we can't let Mink be right. Garrett's pick has got to be the right one. And that's how you ended up on Zay Flowers. Correct? Well, that definitely factored in. (laughs) (laughs) No, but on a serious note, so there's this whole school of thought now that, you know, what, what, what people are doing, the analytics community, one of the ways that they're actually building out their models is to look at all the various, you know, mock drafts and basically collate all those mock drafts and that becomes a part of all the other you know parts of the recipe that go into these predictive models is is how kind of the wisdom of the crowd mentality how people think about these players in a way as a way of looking at you know league value um so when players start to show up in the top 100 consistently, there's probably a pretty good chance that those guys going in the top three rounds of the draft. And when guys don't show up at all in these mock drafts, if you have them as a team, if you have a guy ranked in your top 120 and he's not showing up at all in any of these mock drafts, there's a pretty good chance that you don't have to take that guy till the third day of the draft. Mm. Right, right. Well, I, I keep telling Garrett that Zay's my guy. He was my guy, his pick, right? <laughs> because of all the wide receivers... I like Zay the most. He was my guy. So <laughs> my question for you is, you know, four straight wide receivers go off the board. Was Zay the guy that you wanted the most out of that cluster? He was. You know, and looking at all those guys, we felt like this was uh, an explosive player, very good uh, run after catch, good hands. And also, you know, despite a lack of, you know, probably elite size, he's a guy that we thought could play inside or outside, can catch punts. Um, competitive, feisty player with a history of production over five years. Yeah. Well, I didn't have this on my question sheet, but it, do you always look for a guy or often look for a guy at the end of the first round that maybe there's some trait about him? Because we're always drafting near the end of the first round, which is a good thing. There's some trait that people are knocking them about, but they have other elite traits in something, and that's the reason why they fall. Like Zay, right? Great wide receiver, everything. If it weren't for his height, guy might be a top 10 pick. Right, Linderbaum, you know, his size was the question, you know, like guys that have a knock in some way that we feel like, hey, this is providing great value for us. Well, that's why they're there. You know, like yeah. when we talk about second round picks, specifically second round picks, we can typically identify one thing about that player that probably prohibits him from being a first round pick. Yeah. And sometimes that's size, sometimes that's production. Sometimes that's injury in the case of like a guy like David Ojabo. Right. Uh, but there's usually one thing that teams would look at and say, well, that's going to cause him to fall a little bit. And what happens is if he's got everything else, then he becomes a very attractive option for you. And right. so as we look at it, you know, some of these things are overblown. You know, you look at the guy's production, you look at his skills, you look at his traits, you look at his mentality. Um, you know, the fact that he plays at BC. Okay, maybe that's used against him. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, maybe he doesn't have a great quarterback. Maybe right. his production isn't what it could have been. So we have to look at it from the lens of, okay, well, if this guy played at USC or this guy played at Alabama, 
well, this guy played at Oklahoma. Right. What would he be? Right. And then we look at it. We say, you know what? We can live with those other things, but we know we're getting X, Y, and Z, and that makes us a better football team. With Zay, something that stood out to me over the course of draft weekend was you mentioned it during one of the press conferences. Steve Smith t- spoke very highly of him, and I know you talked to him. I think it was at the Combine. How much, like, I got the sense in here for you, like, that, like, Steve's endorsement of him carried some weight. Like, that it, that was something that, like, was, as you're putting the puzzle together and considering all these different perspectives, that, like, that was, uh, that was something that mattered. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would say this, like, that's a nice little anecdotal story. Yeah. Steal a word that I like to use, anecdotal. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, but, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, like, it's a nice story, but in the end, we're going to make the evaluation. Sure. You know, we're not going to have an ex player make the pick for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Steve liked him on tape. I appreciate Steve. I think he has a great feel for the receiver position. You know, typically what we do in this business is find players who remind us of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we all do it in different ways. So I like the scrappy, undersized mm-hmm. linebackers, you know, uh, blue-collar overachiever types. Yeah. Um, every every scout kind of has, you know, it's a bias that we all have, right? We can always relate to people who remind us of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for Steve, hey, listen, if this guy plays like Steve Smith, we're going to be extremely happy. If he's got that dog in him, if he's physical and feisty and catches the ball over the middle and breaks tackles, um, you know, then we're going to be ecstatic to get him. Sure. So as the draft is unfolding, receivers are not flying off the board, which sometimes happens. You know, all of a sudden receivers start going. And then at 20, that's when it starts. Seattle takes Jackson Smith and Jigba. Quentin Johnston goes next. And then, of course, Zay Flowers comes here. So when when Jackson Smith and Jigba goes to Seattle, did you think at that point, okay, the run could be on? Because it's like the past few years, as soon as one goes, it seems like the run starts. Is that what you were thinking when you saw him go at that spot? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, you know, one of the things that I want to look at is that I, and I want our analytics people to look at is the idea of a run. Mm-hmm. Does that really truly exist? Mm. Is there such a thing analytically as a run? It's kind of like the hot hand in the NBA. Does the hot hand exist? Does, right. motiva- mm-hmm. does, does momentum yeah. actually exist? And mm-hmm. so it's a fascinating topic that we could delve into. I do think there's something to be said that once the toothpaste is opened up, you know, you, you can't close it. And we started to see receivers. We see it, we've seen in other years. I thought I think we saw it in the third round this year with the inside linebacker position as mm-hmm. well. We started seeing those guys come off the board a little bit. Um, it's the panic. It's the idea of a panic. Like you, you start to see a small sample of players get selected. And now other teams are thinking, oh, man, mm-hmm. if we want a receiver, we have to draft one right now because the guys we like are all going to get taken. Right. So it, there was a run. We saw the guys all get picked right there. You know, I always felt pretty good about the receiver position because I felt like our board might be different from other teams' boards. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter was and is we liked all four of those guys, Yeah. every single one of them. Every single one of those receivers was a viable option for us in the first round at different points. Mm. Now, maybe some guys would be trade backs, maybe sure. other guys wouldn't be. 
But we saw all four of those receivers as potential first-round picks for the Ravens. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Item scarcity reminds me of being in the cafeteria on Taco Day. And, <laughs> and, and somebody hits the guacamole early. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I better get up there yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, with, you know, in the back in the old days with the frozen yogurt, too. Like, if if, if George was up there, Coquinas, right. then Moriarty was going to be up there next. <laughs> you know, because he was always worried that there wouldn't be enough for him. Exactly. It's and real. once that machine ran out of frozen yogurt, you know, you weren't really sure if Manny was going to be there in time to, to fill it up before totally. you have to go back up to your desk totally yeah. exactly you know it's, it's the hour-long lunch this will be part of the, of the study that your team does <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's the hour-long lunch uh so did you have a hunch that the chargers might take quentin johnson just because kind of their mo has been the bigger wide receiver you know mike williams uh palmer is a, is a bigger guy you know did you have kind of a feeling that they might go in that direction yeah, not really. I mean, Tom Telesco, the GM, he does a phenomenal job. Yeah. And I felt like they would potentially be looking at, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnson or Addison mm -hmm. in different ways. I mean, they might be looking for an outside guy, an inside guy, but historically they've liked the bigger receivers, right? the right runners. Um, so I felt like probably one of those three guys made the most sense for them. Right. But you, but you never know. I mean, I've been, been shocked. I go back to the 2006 draft and I'd have bet the house that Dante Whitner would have been there mm -hmm. when we picked and he got picked by the Bills I don't know what pick it was, it was like a top 10 pick yeah we were pick right? we yeah. picked it was the year we drafted Haloti okay. and I felt like Whitner was going to be our safe pick that mm -hmm. year and he got picked and so you never really know how other teams see players right um you know I remember another draft there was a linebacker and I'm like man we must be the only team that really likes this. And we love this one particular linebacker. And I'm like, man, this guy will be there for us if we want him. Mm -hmm. Well, he got picked like five picks before we wanted him right. in, the, in, a, in the round. <laughs> and so that happens every single year. You know, you always, again, it's kind of a bias. Like you, you think that no one else really likes this guy as much as you do. But then you realize they all look at the same tape. Right. And they've all got the same type of board. Right. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, you expected Jackson Smith and Jigba to come off. I mean, he was, you know, if you're looking at the mock drafts, he was consistently the, the first guy off the board, kind of. And then you thought, all right, the Chargers, maybe they go with Johnson or, or whatnot, or Addison, who was consistently pretty high also. So you felt like Zay, because of the height, probably, we loved him more than other teams, probably a good chance. But, but you said that you were more nervous about somebody leapfrogging us, right, and, and taking Zay, potentially. Uh, since then, the Giants, uh, Joe Schoen reportedly... Shane, uh, Shane? Shane, sorry. You say Schoen, I say Shane. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> tomato, tomato, you know. Let's <laughs> call the whole thing off. <laughs> um, you know, he reportedly uh, was interested in, in coming up to land Zay. Was, was that the team that you were nervous about? So we had gotten some calls from some teams behind us, yeah. you know, and, you know, it didn't take a rocket scientist... Uh, like my buddy Sig, who works for the Orioles, who actually was a rocket scientist, <laughs> to tell me that they were coming up for receivers. And so, you know, we decided to stand pat at that point because we knew that there was a legitimate risk that we were going to lose the guys that we coveted, mm -hmm. uh, the Giants being one of those teams. I think, you know, the Chiefs were behind us as well. Right. Um, so the phone rings and you kind of look at, like, what are these teams looking at potentially? And then you look at the board and you figure out, like, is it worth it to get a third round pick, fourth round pick, whatever that might be, to lose one of these players. And we decided, you know, probably not. So uh, we stood pat. 
right? Mm-hmm. How far back are these teams calling? Like, how far back are we talking about trading? Uh, because, you know, that's one you've done it many times where you go back two, three spots. Yeah. If you go back further, obviously, you know, there's there's more of a greater chance that you're not going to get one of those players that you want. But how far back could you have potentially gone? Yeah, so we had some offers to, to trade out of the first, mm-hmm. to go into the first half of the second. And, again, we looked at it, you know, and kind of look at the board. We use a, a pretty sophisticated model that our guys came up with that helps us predict which players are going to be there when we're on the clock. It's pretty damn accurate, I have to say. And as we looked at it in the second round and saw the type of players available, it just wasn't as appealing as we would have hoped, you know, the players. So for us to pick at 22 and get a guy that we thought was a, a, a top prospect mm-hmm. versus trading back and getting, you know, a third-round pick, maybe, it just it didn't make as much sense this year. Now, in some years it does. We'll roll the dice. But in this year, I guess my mindset was, let's just get the best guys we can get. Let's get the top talent that we can get we don't necessarily need as many picks yeah but let's get the top talent we can in this year's draft and that was what we tried to do would that have changed if say the Giants had jumped up and taken Zay Flowers in front of you would you have maybe been a little bit more open to moving back or would you have then you know pivoted to Ryan's well, guy right. his mock draft. well you gotta let me get some <laughs> sleep at night here and and some bragging rights over Garrett the question here is I appreciate you teeing up for yeah me. there you go had Zay been gone, would you have taken my guy, Deontay Banks? That's the question, so I can get a little more bragging rights back. Yeah, well, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> and it's probably going to go unanswered. I will say this. <laughs> I, will say this um, I thought the uh, Reds, the Commanders, mm-hmm. did a great job. Uh, they took one of my favorite guys in the draft. Forbes, yeah. Forbes. Manuel Forbes, yeah. You know, uh, we had him come in and visit us, spent the day with him. Ball hawk, you know, a skinny dude, but just a, a straight-out baller. Um just a, a good player. He was a guy that we thought was an outstanding player and would have been a guy that we would have considered in the first at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, trade back, potentially. stand Pat, potentially. He went, I think, what, 16? Right. Mm-hmm. That was an aggressive yeah. pick, but yeah. I think that's going to be a pick that as you look back on the first round, you'll say, you know what, that was an awesome draft pick. Well, there's a, it's another guy kind of who gets knocked because of size or whatever, mm-hmm. but like you look at the interceptions and it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. what are we missing here? This mm-hmm. guy made plays. Yeah, it's totally. interesting. So in your time as GM, you've selected receiver three out of your first, in the first round, three of the five drafts. Is that in part because the receiver position in today's NFL has just maybe taken on even more significance? Is it based on the fact that when these guys get second contracts, they get such massive second contracts? Yeah. What is, um, is it just the fact that you like the players? Like, what's sort of the perspective on that approach? I think all of the above, yeah. you know. Um, we certainly liked all the players that we've taken. Uh, in the 20s, they felt like really good value for us where we took them. Uh, the importance of the position. But I think, that, you know, one of the – and you made the point, it is, and it's the true point. When you look at these second contract values of these wide receivers, it makes sense to us that you would try to get a, a young guy who can perform at that level and get him on a, a, a four- or five-year uh, rookie wage scale. Mm-hmm. Um, because once they sort of – you know, it's not like a um, – it's not like a used car, right? I mean, you, you pay full price for a used car, <laughs> and then you can buy that same car – four or five years later at a massive discount. Receivers, they're the opposite. You mm-hmm. get them at a discount, and then you pay full price times two mm-hmm. four or five years later. So for us, the idea that we're going to um, get these guys on the rookie wage scale, potentially. 
Now you have to hit on the player. The player has got to be productive. He's got to stay healthy. Mm -hmm. He's got to, uh, to have the whole makeup, the whole thing. But if you do, it's like getting a quarterback on a rookie wage scale. Um, you really set yourself up for a really prosperous four or five year window. Right. The, the notion that you know we haven't invested at wide receiver is just so bunk. I mean, three first round picks in five years is a is a big investment. You kind of look at that. You know, it hasn't been. I mean, Odell is kind of the exception. It hasn't been the financial contract investment, but the draft pick investment. You feel like we have put a lot of resources into this position. You know, I think we have, and you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, our first, my first pick, Hollywood, uh, is no longer here. Right. Um, but we think Rashad's going to blow up this year, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And we think Zay is going to be an amazing player for us too. And so, you're right. Like, I, I think about it a lot. You know, if we had signed a bunch of receivers. As free agents, we'd be paying a lot more money and probably wouldn't be able to bring back a Marlon Humphrey or Ronnie Stanley, right. um, you know, a Roquan Smith, players like that. So I look at it really as an allocation of resources. You've got a finite amount of money that you can spend and how are you going to do it? And so for us, it made sense to draft the rookies, the younger players. Um, we see a strong correlation uh, with receivers, drafted receivers, and uh, the age of those players developing in your system and producing versus spending tons of money on veteran receivers who expect to get the ball thrown to them more than anybody else. Right, mm -hmm. right. You know, because they're being paid that money. Right. You're basically entitling those players by putting them up there as your marquee acquisition. And just for us, we just felt like our model works best now we need some of these guys to really perform right. for, for sure and we've allocated a lot of resources to the receiver position in the draft we're aware of that but for us it felt like the right thing to do yeah mm -hmm. uh, one more receiver question for me you know going into draft night and that was a crazy day of course Lamar's contract gets done that day and we'll ask you about that but during that day, there was so much buzz about DeAndre Hopkins and the possibility of, of a move there do you like when there is a lot of smoke around something like that because it made it very difficult. I mean, like we joked about our mock drafts, but that was the challenge, I think, in large degree in terms of determining the direction you want to go because mm -hmm. it's like, well, if they're getting DeAndre Hopkins, they're not going to draft a first-round receiver. Mm -hmm. But if they're not, then maybe they would. And, and we so, don't know anything behind the scenes. We don't know if the DeAndre Hopkins smoke is legit, if yeah. it's totally bunk. Like, do you, and do you, which I'm sure, I'm sure other teams are wondering the same thing. <laughs> and so, do you like when there is that smoke that exists, and does that? How does that help you on draft night? Nobody loves smoke more than I. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that that could come off wrong. Yeah. We're not going to clip that off of the socials. <laughs> but but I, I tell you, you know, anytime you know, you can create a little distraction. Yeah. Then you you should. I mean, the draft is the ultimate chess match, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm aware of that. You know, uh, I think that was my uh, 19th draft that I've run. Um, so there's a lot of experience there, and th there is a game. It's a game within a game. It's other teams trying to figure out what you're going to do. It's people in the media trying to figure out what you're going to do so that they can tell other people in the league, you know, which happens quite a bit. So uh, you know, I look at it as uh, secrecy times 10, and uh, one of the more paramount things is 
just me knowing what we're going to do and no one else truly knowing what we're going to do. One of the one of the things I was really proud about last year was that, and it's really hard to keep secrets in this business, as you guys know, but literally no one knew that we were trading Hollywood Brown <laughs> right. last yeah. year. Yeah. And I had that, you know, with Steve Kime, the GM at the time, and uh, we had that thing ironed out with the agent, uh, Tori Dandy, and with uh, Marquise. And we were able to keep that secret. Yeah. No one knew. And uh, it was, that was an important aspect of that draft that we were able to do that. Um, Lamar's signing, you know, this year. Well, that was something that, you know, we were, we were really kind of past third base on the Monday night of that week. And we were able to keep it essentially secret up until, what, Thursday at 4 o'clock mm -hmm. right. or so. So those are really important um, elements to the draft in the offseason. And so what I would say is, like, if you hear that the Ravens are doing something, <laughs> be very skeptical of that. <laughs> if you think you know what we're doing, be skeptical. If you think you know what another team is doing, be skeptical. Because no team has a vested interest in putting their moves out there publicly. So if you start reading these mock drafts and you see players going to that team consistently, be skeptical. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes maybe you actually tell the truth. Yeah. Well, see, that's it. You keep us on our toes. Like with Linderbaum <laughs> last year in the pre-draft press conference, you know, you're like, we well, you take him, you know, whatever the size, whatever. We don't have to take a big center or whatever. And then, and then you took him, and everybody's like, nah, that was that smokescreen. No way. They've always taken big centers. Then you take Linderbaum. Well, so Steve told me a couple of years ago, Steve Bishotti, we were talking about just the nature of a GM, and he said to me, you know, you don't want to be pigeonholed as being super aggressive mm -hmm. making a move but you also don't want to be super conservative you should be both at various times mm -hmm. and that really resonated with me and so what i would say you know extrapolating that to the draft is sometimes i'm going to tell the truth <laughs> sometimes i'm going to lie <laughs> because if i always lie then people are going to know i'm lying right exactly if I always tell the truth people are going to know i'm telling the truth right and so um Listen, as I said at the start of this, I love a good smokescreen as much as anybody. Mm -hmm. So uh, speaking of media reports, uh, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reported uh, that had we not signed Lamar to the contract extension earlier in the day, that he's hearing from people the Ravens would have considered taking Will Levis at number 22. Is there any truth to that rumor? Well, I mean, would have considered. I mean, I think I said, you know, in the pre-draft luncheon that we had quarterbacks in our top 32 players mm -hmm. so we had quarterbacks as first round picks and so it would have really amounted to the board you know falling the right way and then us making the decision to take the QB which you know I'm fortunate as the GM that I actually am the guy that ranks the players mm -hmm. you know I watch all the players I write reports on every single draft pick at a certain level and I rank the board and as far as I know, now I had to talk to Ashish, our <laughs> IT guy, but <laughs> as far as I know, no one has access to that list except for me. Uh -huh. So Not Ashish. Well, I got to talk to Ashish. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. I'm going to have to delve into that. But <laughs> what I would say is as far as I know, I'm the only guy that has access to our list. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm the only guy that would know that. Yeah. So how much did getting the Lamar deal done that week, that day, 
impact your draft strategy? Like, I, I mean, other than the fact that it was maybe a sigh of relief and it was just like, okay, that huge piece of business is done, but how much did it affect things going into that weekend? Well, I think it provided a sense of clarity for me, you know, um, just to like really be able to focus and hone in on those three days, you know, making the picks. Um, it, it probably, you know, made the receiver, uh, the quarterback position uh, less important in the draft. I will say that. But in general, I think just my mindset of being able to focus. I mean, if you think about your own lives and you've, you've got, say, work commitments, but you've got something personal in your life, that's like a major burden. And we've all had that at some point, right? <clears throat> I mean, I go back to the, uh, the, uh, the 14 season, 2014, and uh, my mom was, was sick and uh, she had cancer and she, you know, she ended up uh, passing. But that season, like, I remember virtually almost everything from every season. And that season's kind of a blur. Mm -hmm. Like, I know we made the playoffs. Gary was with us, offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it was a great season. Justin Forsett, right, had a great year that year. Mm -hmm. Joe had a great year that year. But, um, but that year was like I was so distracted because, uh, you know, no matter what, I was thinking about going home and getting up to the, see my parents and spend the time up there. And I was constantly just thinking about, like, the future and what that might mean. And so when you can take something like Lamar Jackson that's been kind of hovering over this franchise for a year and a half and figure that out in a way that is exciting to Lamar and exciting to the club, then it just allows you to just focus on something that brings you so much joy anyways. I and mean, the draft for me and for the scouts is really the highlight of the year for us. It's what we do. And so being able to finish Lamar's contract was a joy, and it came at exactly the right time. Right. So I like to play the what-if game a lot when it comes to the draft and past drafts and whatnot. And one big what-if that came out of this draft is uh, what if Trenton Simpson had not picked up his phone when you tried to call him back after he hung up on you? <laughs> what if he did not see that thing ringing? Was he still the pick, or were you like, did you just die of a heart attack when you when I first called, and I got to make sure you're alive still? What, what you know, what was what was going to happen there? Well, the first thing that I would say is I'm not sure that Trenton Simpson hung up. Okay, oh, us. because okay. I say that because we had two other players that we called, and the calls dropped, mm. Mm. Uh, and so. I'm not sure, you know, these new phones that we're using, <laughs> you know, that could be a whole nother podcast. Talk about another Ashish uh, project you know, here. I we're going to get on want to get into these phones at all right <laughs> Sounds now. Sounds like you're a big fan. Uh, well, I'm just saying that there's some questionable behavior by the phones. Okay? <laughs> um, but that being the case, you know, with, with Trenton, the fact that we talked to him yeah. and we were able to actually ascertain he was alive, <laughs> right. you know, gave me great comfort yeah. <laughs> that we could pick him. That you That is like that... The reason you call them is to make sure that everything's good, right? I mean, that is like that that matters. You need to talk to this well, guy before you make a Well, there was a year pick. I it was there was not going way back and I think it was the Raiders. You guys would have to research it, but I do think that the Raiders drafted somebody who was dead. Really? I think so. You have to look it up. Oh, wow. I think it was the Raiders and it was probably like in the 70s. Okay. That's but they a bummer did, of a they pick. drafted a dead player. Wow. And that, it's probably not a great look for the organization. Yeah. Yeah, no. You know. Um so so that's kind of what the joke is. Like, we want to make sure this guy is alive and we've talked to him and, right. you know, we're sure that this guy could play football. Right. Well, Trent Simpson is alive and he can play football. So. He's alive and well. Yeah, he's yeah. alive and well. Yeah. So um, how excited were you to get him? And, uh, you know, it seemed like he hit the ground running at, at rookie minicamp. And what did you really like about him? Well, first, you know, he's an explosive player. He's 
played a lot of different roles on their defense. Um, he's used a lot. He's a very athletic player. He can cover. He can rush. He can blitz. He can play the run. He's an outstanding special teams guy. You know, we didn't go into the third round thinking, oh, we're going to take Trenton Simpson. Mm -hmm. You know, we had a board of – there were a lot of good players up there still. And in a span of about 15 picks, a lot of the players that we coveted were gone. And he was the last guy up there that we felt was a true, legitimate difference maker. Um, you know, people want to, like, jump to conclusions and, you know, oh, he's going to replace Patrick. Well, I can tell you this. Patrick Queen had a hell of a year last year. And Patrick Queen is a very talented, in my mind, pro Bowl type linebacker. And um, he's going to have a great year this year. Yeah. And we want Patrick Queen on this team. We want to keep him on this team. We will, uh, at some point, try to get him signed, hopefully, to an extension if we can. Um, you know, the fifth-year option was something that was more based on business and the economics, the salary cap economics, than actually Patrick Queen and yeah. actually his performance and what he does as a player. He's a difference maker for us. And we had Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith last year. Over the last half of the season, we had a chance to see how dominant our defense could be. So now for us, the appealing thing is getting Trenton in here with everything that he can do as a blitzer on third downs off the edge, uh, his special team's ability. It's really just us adding another fast, physical, smart linebacker to the mix and giving our chance on defense to be the best we can be. Right, because, I mean, the third, we had a lot of uh, action from a third linebacker last year. Like, they see a fair amount of snaps. So, like, the prospect of those three guys, how athletic all of them are, you know, that that's really uh, intriguing. Plus, you've got to have depth, and you guys right. have seen that firsthand, you know. Um, if you lose a quality player, you've got to have a quality player to replace him. Right. And so it's never the worst thing to draft the best available player. I mean, that's going to be what we do here. And we we feel, you know, and I, I said this recently, it's, it's like, you know, value investing or putting your money into the stock market. Like, over time, that has proven to be the best way of increasing your wealth. And, like, we look at, you know, best available player the same way. You know, there's there's a there's a thought that, you know, drafting need is the smartest thing. But what often happens in that situation is you draft need and you end up being disappointed by the player that is the need at the time right. because his ability doesn't hold him to that same standard. So for us looking at it like best available player, we know we're getting an impact player. Now, maybe there is an impact player in front of him. But over time, that best available player is going to play. And when he does, we believe you'll, you'll be very happy. Right. Mm -hmm. It is kind of crazy. He, he's the first player from Clemson that we took. Uh, Zay was the first from BC. And then we had Caillou was the first from Stanford. Is there, you know, you haven't been, you've been like a big school kind of guy in your draft history, but the, none of those three schools in our team history. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, there was a linebacker at Colby College up in Maine <laughs> that we were trying to draft. <laughs> and, uh, really? Yeah, 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 we, couldn't him, we couldn't get him on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> So we had to take Trent Simpson instead. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> Maybe next year. <laughs> I, this is, in terms of, a, a, this is an actual trend that I, I did notice with this this class. And I'm curious what you can what you can share about this. They seem like good people. And you can often say that after the, after the fact and you talk to somebody on the phone and you say, man, that's a really nice guy. And, but it seems like in talking with these guys just a little bit that they seem like they're really good people. And I know that that is the personality piece of this is something that you spend time working on. Steve Claggett, you know, goes through that process. What can you share about trying to learn about who these, are, who these players are as people and how that affects your draft strategy? 
Right. So, you know, Gary, it's a good question. I think that's something we've tried to do, not just this year, but I think over the last four or five years, we've really tried to do that. And even before then, yeah. you know, going back um, to, nine, to 2006, you know, uh, if you look at that draft class, I mean, that's something that's been a priority for us. We really do try to stay away generally from the, the problem children mm-hmm. of the draft. Um, you know, the risk associated oftentimes comes back to bite you in the ass. Right. And so for us, like the mentality, the drivers, the grit, the makeup, the durability, the dependability, coachability, um, the, the pride in their craft, the willingness to get to improve. Those are all things that we look for. And, you know, you mentioned Steve Claggett. So Steve's a guy that has spent a lot of his career studying leadership and personality. And he, he does a great job taking all the information that our scouts provide, uh, all the additional testing that we do, um, the interviews, the personal interviews, all the sourcing information that we get, collating all that. And then, you know, along with our analytics guys, Derek Yam, Corey Craywick, you know, basically spitting out a score. We call it a GPA, but a score for these players. And that becomes a very important part of our evaluation. It's mm-hmm. the physical, it's the scout grade, mm-hmm. but it also becomes the GPA. And all the other stuff, the durability, all the other stuff that we bring in, the medical grades and all those things that actually end up dictating where that player is going to end up on our draft board. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, we talked a little bit uh, after the draft about the S2 testing and, and you were talking about how, you know, we don't subscribe to these things because we can't like to keep it all in house. Like we've built, you know, you've built uh, this whole machine behind scouting. It's not just scouts. It's, it's a whole machine to do it ourselves. You know, what advantages, advantages do you feel like that gives us over other teams? Well, you know, I can't say that we do it any better than anybody else, but we certainly do it differently. Mm-hmm. And I, it goes back to Mr. Modell and, uh, you know, Coach March Broder and Ozzy in those early years, and we made the decision to, to just do everything in-house. Yeah. You know, we don't subscribe to uh, national combine scouting. We don't subscribe to Blesto. Those are the two scouting services. Um, you know, we've always had a scouting staff that was probably a little bit bigger than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've really tried to develop our scouts. As you guys know, you've seen a continuity in scouting. And, you know, most of our guys and women now start with us when they're 24, 25 years old. We train them over a period of time, and then we promote, and then we promote, and we retain. And they really do learn the Ravens' way, and they understand the, the uh, culture of the players that we want, how we do it, the terminology. They know the coaches. They understand the scheme. And I would say that like one of the hidden, like one of the hidden resources that we have here, is really just the continuity. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had three head coaches, we've had two general managers over the years, and so our scouts understand completely what it means to play like a Raven, and they understand completely what spring scouting is, fall scouting, the grading scale. Um, a long time ago, I made a joke like, if I say, if I go down to the cafeteria and I come up and I say the soup is a 67, <laughs> everybody's going to run downstairs for the soup <laughs> because they know what a 67 is. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. We all speak the same language. Our scouting system, our, our grading scale is like a language mm-hmm. that we all understand completely. And so, you know, for us, we've developed using analytics going back to 2012. 
a way of looking at prospects. We've developed our grading scale. We've tweaked it. You know, it wasn't our scale. It started with the Dallas Cowboys in the 70s, and we've tweaked our scale over the years, and we've added components. Um, we've added letters and various things. Um, the way that we interview players, the process of interviewing, what we're looking for. We used to interview players, and we would ask the same questions as everybody else. And, and now uh, our questions are totally different because we're looking for specific answers. From, uh, from Different from other teams or different from prospect to prospect, you're saying? Uh, no, I, I would say more so different from other teams, okay. but just different from the way that we used to gotcha. ask questions. So we might have asked a question, you know, years ago, um, you know, what are your best three games? Mm-hmm. We don't really care. That, that question means nothing to us because we can figure out what his best three games right, are. We can look at the stats and figure um, that out, right? We, we might have asked a question, you know, back then, have you ever been in trouble or have you ever been arrested or, you know, talk about your family. We have all that information generally. So we're trying to figure out, so a question we might ask might be like, uh, okay, Garrett, when you think about yourself as a, as a, as a writer, say, mm-hmm. okay, what's your biggest weakness? I can okay. answer that. And, and so then you'll, you'll, you'll say to me, well, you know, I use, you know, I use too many adjectives. Right. I don't, know. I don't yeah. use enough commas. Whatever it might this be, This guy right? doesn't know how to punctuate to save his oh, right. life. Well, Punctuation is overrated. There you go. Okay. So you don't even know, you don't even know when to use a semicolon. Okay. Right. Whatever exactly. that might be. So then I would say, okay, so what have you done? Here's the second part of that question. What have you done to fix that? I just make Ryan edit. <laughs> <laughs> Counts on a good editor, <laughs> and that and you have failed the test, sir. You are not being drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. So, so those are the kind of questions that we ask now, aimed at more like figuring out: Does this prospect take pride in his craft? Is he disciplined? Is he organized? Is he a team player? Uh-huh. You know, um, you know who's the best leader on your team and why? Okay. Self-awareness. What might your teammates say about you? And don't give me something good. Give me something bad. You know, like those kind of questions have changed the landscape of interviewing a lot because we used to try to ask questions where they were like legitimate, like facts Mm. and, you know, background information. And we kind of found out over the years that that was kind of meaningless in the overall prediction of the player. We're trying to figure out more, you know, the grit of the prospect. The mentality, the drivers, what motivates these guys? How do they see themselves? Do they have emotional intelligence? Are they self-aware? Things like that. Those questions and answers end up being much more predictive than the questions we asked 5, 10, 15 years ago. Interesting. Interesting. Really so we won't take up too much more of your time, but I do have one about Tavius Robinson that I was curious about. You know, his background from Canada and being a transfer and being kind of a big-time transfer, you know, a lot of the big programs were looking at him, not just Ole Miss. You know, we have kind of a history of drafting guys, I feel like, from maybe community colleges that like blew up and were big time transfers into big programs and whatnot. Is how far back did Tavius come on to our radar? And is that an area where once again you see value? Like here's a, a player with a high upside who maybe was is a little bit of a late bloomer because they're coming the JUCO route or whatnot, but we feel like Hey, they flash. They they can play at that high level, and now projecting what they can be in the NFL, there's a real opportunity here. Yeah, so it's a really interesting story with Tavia. So it really goes back to um, our old special teams coach, 
Jerry Rosberg. Okay. And so, uh, you know, Jerry's son, Jared, is a hockey player. And so years ago, you know, Jerry said to me, hey, there's a goalie in Ottawa. This kid's unbelievable. He's a six foot five, 215 pound goalie. And he's, he's going to revolutionize hockey. Like they can't get the puck past him. I'm a big <laughs> hockey guy. Okay. You know, I'm a big Bruins guy. So sure enough, I look him up and his name is, is Tavius Robinson. And, you know, he's got a huge wingspan and he's literally just plucking the ball out of the air and they can't get the puck by him. And I was like, man, this guy would be a, a, a freaky uh, outside linebacker. <laughs> Next thing you know, he ends up, you know, at Ole Miss and the rest is history. That's crazy. So when you when you see him at Ole Miss, are you like, is that the is that the goalie? Like, like well, he yeah. knew. But well, I'm saying, we, like, you, we like, knew. Yeah, I saw him. I know who that is. You know, that's crazy. So when did Jerry first bring that up? He didn't. I made the whole story up. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> <laughs> Canada has to be a hockey player. See, this is uh, this Louise. This is why. This is why there's so much smoke around us on draft. This whole because, I'm questioning everything because now because you can never tell what's true and what's. I never want to play poker with you. Never want to play poker with you. I know that much. <laughs> That's hilarious. But no, I think it's yeah, interesting. Interesting background. You know, um, you know, for us, we just look at the tape and we saw him at Ole Miss. And uh, we saw the traits, the length, the yeah. speed, the motor. The one thing about Tavius that really, I think, when you watch him, you see how hard he plays. And when we think about guys that have played that position for us, the, uh, you know, Terrell Suggs of the world and the Zadarius Smiths and guys like that, um, the effort is something that really kind of always shows up time and time and time again. The Jarrett Johnsons of the world. We think about those guys at those positions and that motor and the competitiveness really kind of jumps off the tape. And uh, and with Robinson, we see those same qualities. Right. Mm -hmm. So, are you familiar with the Daniel Jeremiah eating paper story? No. no. Oh, okay. All right. So Daniel Jeremiah said we had him on the podcast, and he said if the Ravens make only five picks, I'll eat a piece of paper live on television during the draft. Like, there's no way that they're only picking five guys. And and generally, he was probably meaning they would trade back in the first round. Right, play, exactly. That was the get thought. More picks. Get more picks. Right, exactly. And so, so you make five picks, you do your draft recap press conference, everyone's like, all right, it's done. Yeah, we're, we're excited. I want we, to see we, Daniel's We paper. take that clip from when he was on the podcast, we tweet it out, tweeted at Daniel Jeremiah and the NFL Network. They're talking about it, you know, on set. We come up here, we're doing the recap <laughs> episode of The Lounge, and then all of a sudden, chaos breaks and we have to run back downstairs because you trade back into the seventh round and take Andrew Voorhees. So, how much of... Were you just trying to throw your buddy Daniel Jeremiah a bone here and keep him from having to eat paper uh, on set? Uh, but, but I will say we did have a little fun with it because, you know, Voorhees was a guy that, that I had seen and kind of admired and he's a heck of a player and I felt like there might be an opportunity for us to potentially trade back in to get him and that was my kind of in the back of my mind a plan that we were going to do and I tried to hint that out that we that we were going to take some extra players potentially five players I think and I said at one point we're going to draft five good players and um and then they you know in the, in the press conference so normally we would probably do the press conference when we're done right you know when we that's know what we're I done. thought I, like, they but must I knew done. that we weren't done and I thought it would be kind of fun because <laughs> I still felt like, you know, the media, they just couldn't, they, they were surprised and they were like, oh, you guys didn't make any trades. And so I, I was making jokes with Chad beforehand. I'm like, they're going to ask me about these trades. And I said, they're going to be really surprised because 
I'm going to make a trade. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go down there and they're going to think the draft is over and then we're going to jump back in. And so that's why if you, if you watch that press conference, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said, but you know, you never know, you know, basically like we, we you never know. I just took it as a throwaway line. I was yeah, like, there's no well, way. It was my question. I asked you, it was like the last question of the press conference. I was like, how does it feel that everybody thought you were going to make more than five picks, but you didn't. And you, you were smirking. I noticed <laughs> when answering that question. And then I was also, if you noticed, looking at the TV the whole time when I wasn't speaking, because there's the TV in front. Right, right. Because I was hoping like hell that Voorhees would still be there. Right. And I was really worried that he was going to get picked while we were doing that press conference. <laughs> and so what happened was we, um, I went upstairs and I felt like there were a couple teams that had multiple picks and they would probably have wanted to trade one of them to us for the, uh, for the discount next year. And they weren't willing to do it. And then I was like, well, you know, I think the Browns will probably do it. And people thought that was weird, but it's really not weird that we would trade with the Browns. So their, uh, their GM, Andrew Barry, He's a smart guy, and he's a analytics got a little bit of an analytics background, and so the analytics community loves those trades for next year because you get the discount on the pick. Mm -hmm. Right. So we got their seventh this year, and we gave up our sixth next year. Right. So they're looking at that as a win. I mean, in theory, if you think about a seventh round pick this year, it's kind of like the same value as a seventh round pick next year, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I give you a hundred dollars this year, mm -hmm. you're gonna give me a hundred dollars back next year. Right. Right. Um, so that's kind of like the, the thought process. But analytics people, they love the idea that you can give up a pick this year and get a better pick next year. Mm -hmm. So Andrew was really happy to do it. Um, they probably didn't have a player that they coveted in the seventh. And they see it as a great opportunity to get a better pick next year. So we were able to do it. Um, we called her Andrew. He hung up on us, so got disconnected. <laughs> He's the, one of those guys. The phone conspiracy. Uh -huh. um, but we were going to take him, and he was excited and happy. And, you know, he and his wife are really looking forward to coming out east. And uh, he's a guy that we think is a potential starter for us over time. A very, very physical, tough, gritty, smart guy, a good body on him. And uh, we think he has a chance to compete as a starter pretty early on when he comes back. If he didn't tear his ACL at the Combine, where do you think he probably goes? Oh, man, I don't know. I think probably mid-rounds, third, mm -hmm. fourth, you mm -hmm. know, somewhere in there, right. I would say. And you got to save DJ from eating a piece of paper, so everybody wins. Yeah. Boom. There you yeah. go. Exactly. And, and you got to make me look like a yeah, fool. Exactly. So it's, it's really perfect. Yeah, when they showed you guys on, on the screen when the pick was announced, I mean, you were laughing hysterically. And we were sitting next to each other. I was like, they're laughing at you currently right now up there. They're saying, Mick said that we weren't going to make a trade. <laughs> it's like, you know, like you said, sometimes he tells the truth, sometimes he lies. So you can never truly it's know true. what the difference it's is. It's true. Well, Eric, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thank right, you thank so you. much. Appreciate it. Well, big thanks to Eric Tacasa for stopping by the Seat Geek Studio here in the lounge. Really good insight from him. Also, we want our listeners and our viewers to know that the DraftKings Sportsbook is the official sportsbook of the Baltimore Ravens that has a limited time offer that you do not want to miss. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using the code FLOCK. New customers can get a deposit bonus of up to $1,000. That's only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code FLOCK. Make sure you play responsibly. And for help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. You need to be physically present in Maryland to play, and you can get more information at DraftKings.com. 
com. So, um, Tavius Robinson. <laughs> great goalie. Great hockey player. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. I mean, Eric's hilarious. I mean, uh, you know, you never know what to believe. And he does keep you on your toes. Yeah, like, that uh, just shows you, I mean, legitimately, the DeAndre Hopkins smoke threw me off and affected my pick. Because, like we've, I've been saying, you know, I love Zay. And I was like, I think the Ravens really like Zay. Yeah. And I love him. And I would love to pick him. And it's, it's really eaten at me that I didn't end up doing it because I let the DeAndre Hopkins smoke influence me and go, first round corner right and and that's eric i'm just the puppet and eric is the puppet master <laughs> yeah I'm just, just and i'm over here dancing yeah and like uh so yeah he's that's one reason that he's really good at his job yeah um it, I've, a couple things that stood out to me in talking with him one i think this is the inside baseball stuff but i feel like the personality stuff is an interesting just hearing their thought process on that um you know that's something that we you know behind the scenes here see you know it's just that's been a staff and a, like you talked about the machine that's been built up there yep. um and to hear some insight into that process i found fascinating um also clearly um you know, he talked about Patrick Queen and the fifth-year option yeah. and how he views Patrick Queen as someone who's going to be a really important piece this year and beyond. Yeah. By no means is not picking up the fifth-year option an indication that this is it for him and the Ravens are moving on from him. Mm-hmm. Quite the contrary. Mm-hmm. The Ravens want him here this year uh, and hopefully beyond. And so yep. I think that was a pretty newsworthy element there. Yeah, for sure. And just the insights on the whole wide receiver class. And yeah. Zay was really the guy that they wanted all along. They felt like they were going to get him because other teams were kind of discounting him because of his size. Um, just the kind of the way they sized up the wide receiver board there was interesting, I thought. Yeah. And, and you know, hearing that they could have traded back into, you know, early second in the round. second round, you know, that would have totally changed the caliber of the player that the Ravens are getting, which hundred percent. And then also like these receivers who we spent so much time talking about Jordan Addison, Zay flowers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnson, all those guys would have been gone. And so you're looking at, you know, a much different player at that spot. And, um, you know, I'm certainly excited that, they ended up taking Zay. Well, what's also interesting, you know, my guy Deontay Banks, he didn't really uh, give me a whole lot of faith that Deontay Banks was going to be the guy. You know, yeah. he kind of said, like, it sounded like Forbes was almost the player they expected would be there at 22, almost like, you know, for lack of a better term, the safe pick. Sure. Like he's talked about in previous drafts, that Forbes would probably be there. You know, if Zay wasn't, they could take Forbes. Yeah. And um, not necessarily Deontay Banks was that guy. You know, Forbes was the... Not the first corner off. Was he the first corner no, off the board? No, Witherspoon was. Witherspoon it. was, yeah. right, cause to the Seahawks. Yeah. But then it took a while. Christian Gonzalez went also. Christian Gonzalez went way later than yeah. people expected. So yeah. I think Forbes went before him, right? I think he was after, right after. Was but, but any, Either yeah. way. Forbes went higher than I think a lot of people expected. So then the safe pick was off the board. So then it was kind of, for the Ravens, we don't know exactly how they felt about Deontay Banks, but I think that kind of made getting Zay even more important. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. um, so that was really interesting as well. Yeah, so send us uh, your reaction, your thoughts, your questions. Uh, after listening to Eric, you can email us at lounge at ravens.nfl.net. We have a bunch of really good emails that have come to us over the past week or so. Uh, this one comes to us from John Stremmel, says, Aloha, Ryan and Garrett. I feel like the stars are aligning for Lamar Jackson in a way that puts him in position to have an MVP caliber season. Yeah. Even better 
than 2019. That's tough. Okay. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself here, but clearly you're not doing a very good job of that, John. <laughs> you're already signing him up for another unanimous MVP. But it's hard not to get excited about all the weapons we have and to see a landscape of excellence on the horizon. Do you think we're in position to have a better season than 2019 when Lamar won MVP? This is the most excited I've been in the last three seasons, and I'm curious if I'm alone in that assessment. Well, 2019 is a really high bar to set for the team and for Lamar Jackson. I mean, 14-2. and two. That's a really high bar. Uh, you know, I think the Ravens are going to be one of the best teams in the NFL and in the AFC. I think, you know, if I'm a bet man reaching 14 and two, I'd probably say that's that's going to be tough to do. Right, that's lofty. That's lofty. Um, it also, with Lamar, I don't think you really should compare it to 2019 because that was such a unique year. I mean, the Ravens rolled out. You know this. They had kind of debuted it a little bit at the back end of 2018, but really with Greg Roman in his first full year as coordinator, rolled out this revolutionary style offense that took the league by storm, and and Lamar took the league by storm, and um, you know obviously the rushing record and all that stuff. It'll be a different season this year for Lamar Jackson than it was in 2019. Do I think he can? be just as effective in a different way and be an MVP candidate slash front runner? Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes. I think Lamar Jackson could a hundred percent win the MVP. Certainly he'll, I expect him to be in that conversation, I mean, but it'll look a lot different. He'll throw for more yards. I expect that he'll run for fewer, you know, really the touchdowns, the interceptions in 2019 were the, a big reason to that in his success. Can he replicate that? Sure. I think he can for sure. Again, it's a lofty, that's a lofty bar. He led the league in touchdown passes. You know, that's hard to replicate again. There's a lot of good quarterbacks out there, but I think that Lamar uh, is primed and set up for a career year that'll just look different than 2019. Look, I think that this team is going to be one of the best teams in the league, like you said. I agree with basically everything that you just said. I think that in terms to answer John's question, should you be this excited? Yeah, I think you should be. I think, yes. I mean, I think that the Ravens are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the league. I think they have all the pieces to be incredibly fun to watch every single week. They just made Lamar the highest paid player in NFL history for a reason. Right. So they, they believe in him. They want him to be a player. That's an MVP candidate um, every single year. And I think that with Lamar, when Lamar's been here and Lamar's been healthy, the Ravens have been a playoff team every single year. Um, and I expect them to be a playoff team and then some this year. Um, that would be my, my, my guess, you know, right. as we're sitting here recording this in May. Um, but I think they've got all the pieces. Lamar's a great player. And um, I think the Ravens have a really good season in the future. Yeah, for sure. All right, here's another email. This one comes from Todd Wasserman. Uh, he says, now that the offense looks awesome with Lamar back and with all the new additions, let's examine the defense. Last year, the defense was great and at times dominating, but I need some convincing for this year's defense. With the loss of Calais Campbell, Marcus Peters, and Chuck Clark, how can the D be at the same level? Well, let's just say, first of all, you know, the lo- we haven't lost Marcus Peters. He's still a free agent. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Eric Takasa even said he wouldn't rule out, or John Harbaugh said yep. he would not rule out the possibility that the Ravens still add another veteran cornerback, whether that's Marcus or not, you know, who knows, but he's still available. It's an option potentially. Um, but I'm, I'm not worried about the defense uh, in the fact that a, I think that Rocky sin is a, a really good signing that probably hasn't been, we haven't talked about enough even, you know, uh, stepping in for Marcus Peters who, you know, Marcus 
coming off the knee injury last year had some limitations that he even said, you know, and so is a younger, uh, potentially healthier Rocky Asin. How does that, you know, play up to Marcus Peters? Well, the mm-hmm. Marcus Peters of last year, or the Marcus Peters before the knee injury, mm-hmm. two different players kind of, you know, and Marcus even said he didn't really trust his instincts fully last year. So I guess that's my way of saying, I don't know that the Ravens have taken some big step down at cornerback, you know, plus you have to factor in Jalen Armour Davis is, has a year under his belt. Now he didn't get a lot of action as a rookie, but you know, he's has NFL experience. He's been in the NFL for over a year. You know, Pepe Williams, the same, they drafted Caillou blue Kelly. I think that they certainly have more depth and young kind of, uh, improving developing options there than they had last year when you had two fourth round rookies. Yep. Now you have two fourth, you know, two sophomores coming in and a talented guy in Caillou Blue Kelly. So, and I don't think they're done necessarily at cornerback. As we said, they could still add somebody. So I think they'll have improved depth at corner, which will help them. Um, And I don't think that it's a big step down from Marcus or any step down potentially from Marcus to Rocky Sin. Yeah. You know, um, so I'm not too worried about corner. Calais Campbell, yes, that's a loss on the defensive line. They did not draft a defensive lineman. I wouldn't rule out the possibility of signing some kind of veteran, mm-hmm. another veteran D lineman, kind of edge slash D lineman guy. You know, that wouldn't shock me moving forward. I think they're going to sign an edge. Yeah, I think they'll point. definitely sign an edge. I think the question is more whether it's a D lineman. But again... You know, it's kind of you have these young players that are are growing and ascending and they're going to get more opportunities. You know, you look at Travis Jones, who we were all really excited to get in the third round last year, more opportunities for him. You yeah. know, Justin Matabike, more time for him. So, um, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. The loss, not having Clayus Campbell here stinks, you know, from a on the field and off the field perspective. But I guess I'm not also super concerned about the D-line. Like Michael Pierce, they didn't have him practically all year last year let's he's going to be back healthy yeah let's assume let's hope that he plays all year that's a major upgrade over what last year's d-line was yeah right so like i'm also not concerned about their their ability to stop the run either Mm -hmm. and and i think calais's sack production his pass rush ability hopefully can be made up for in you know the ascension of David Ajabo, you know, Adafi Owe, those yeah. kind of guys. Tyus Bowser's now a year healthier after the Keeleys. You know, his sack production really dipped. I would expect that would go back up. So, like, I also, you know, pass rusher as it stands now is probably the biggest need, right? Yeah, I think the Ravens are going to add a pass rusher. I, right. It would not shock me at all. One of these days, you know, you get the, the transaction comes through and the Ravens have signed Justin Houston. Like, right. They they waited last year in the process. Would not shock me if he were yes. to come back here to Baltimore again and sign late in the process, like he's done the last two years. Right. They could also go and get another veteran pass rusher. They did it last year, with Jason Pierre-Paul. Yeah. He's still on the market too. Yep. So they could go dip into the, their, their toes into those waters again. And I think that they will at some point. Yeah. I feel good about the defense. They got the best inside linebacker tandem in the league. Yep. They have a really good secondary. Still, I think right. uh, Marlon even, Humphrey, one of the best corners. Marcus great, Marcus Williams, great safety. And, and, right, Kyle Hamilton coming off a, a fantastic rookie year. Now you know he's shifting, changing positions a little bit, but. That's what he's played his whole life, so I don't expect him to have any issues. Really, I think it comes down to pass rusher right now. Like I said, it's kind of the biggest remaining need. And something that we haven't talked about a lot is who's the third corner. Like I think Rocky Sin's going to be one of the top three. I expect that he'll probably be the starting outside corner opposite Marlon Humphrey if I'm handicapping it right now. 
who's that other guy? Is that Brandon Stevens? You know, mm-hmm. John Harbaugh said that he's really focusing on safety, but that doesn't necessarily mean he can't be the third corner in the slot either. That's yeah. what Kyle Hamilton la- did last year, and he was a safety, right? So is Brandon Stevens that kind of third corner? Who plays inside there? Is that Pepe? You know, I don't expect it's Jalen Armour Davis. He's more of an outside guy. That's what he was at Alabama. I don't think that he would pl- probably play in the slot. Right now, I'd probably say it's Brandon Stevens or, or Pepe with Caillou pushing them. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. I think that's probably the one of the bigger question marks right now in the defense. Yeah. I agree with how that would probably break down. Yeah. Um, but even with those questions, like, I, I, I just I still feel really good about the defense. I'm just not yeah. really that concerned. I think this offense is going to take a big leap up. And as I just said a few minutes ago, I think this team is going to be one of the best in the league. Yep. Yeah, I, I definitely expect so. So, anyway, thank you for listening. As always, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't done so yet. Check out Ravens Press Pass. Subscribe, rate, and review that as well. All of our press conferences and media availabilities are there. So, Rookie Minicamp, that was this past weekend. Uh, all the press conferences with Zay Flowers, who we mm-hmm. talked to Eric Tacasa about, with John Harbaugh, and other Ravens draft picks uh, are all there. So, make sure you check that out. Another promo- promotion thing here. The yep. NFL schedule is coming out on Thursday. Yes. So we are going to have a schedule reaction podcast. That's we're going to do the draft, <sighs> travel draft, <sighs> sign here up for all of, our, all of our great locations. Uh, a lot of good ones this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we're going to do that this week. Um, and so that comes out Thursday night, 8 p.m. We'll post it everywhere. Who's and got it, top draft pick in it? Rock oh, me. I, I, always me. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that'll be something to come out uh, later this week and uh, we're also going to talk with Cole Jackson yep. coming up here soon that'll be a, a, an episode coming out next week uh, we're going to talk with Cole and kind of get a film breakdown of these rookies and get his perspective uh, after diving into the tape on this rookie class so uh, email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net thank you so much for listening and watching and we'll talk with you again soon